Praise the Lord. Welcome to the broadcast today, Cross Time with Pastor Curtis. I'm Pastor Curtis Hutchinson. Glad you're with us today here. We're going to be looking at part two of something the Lord is giving me entitled Bible Faith in Light of the Cross. And I believe the Lord is going to give us some great things in these last days to help us make it through these horrible times that we're in of so much false doctrine, surrounded by false doctrine at every turn of the head. And I believe we've got to understand Bible faith so that we can be able to express that which is pleasing to the Lord through the lives He's given us to live in Christ Jesus. Praise God for that. So we're here on Friday mornings at 9 a.m. Central. Cross time with Pastor Curtis. You can find a multitude of sermons and teachings and all sorts of good things on the YouTube channel, which is Curtis Hutchinson 316 and uh, the website, thecrosswaychurch.com. And, uh, and on Mondays and Thursday mornings at 8.30 a.m. Central Time, we are digging and walking our way through the great book of Hebrews in chapter 4 presently. I just encourage you to just, just, just to make it a habit, just to make it something you do, to join us uh, if you can live. If you can't, find these uh, messages, these teachings after uh, whenever you can get to them, but make it a point to listen and to follow along with your Bibles and to, and to glean that which the Lord is trying to show you, give you, do in you and through you in these last days, this little short vapor of a life that we all have. We're so thankful that He's chosen us and He's using us and He wants to do that for every person who's breathing today because He loves us all. <coughs> Praise the Lord. Again, this is going to be part two of Bible faith in light of the cross. And uh, we're going to really endeavor today to move into Luke chapter 8. Now, that's not where we're going to start, but that's where we're going to try to get to. And, and the reason we're not going to start there is because I'm a firm believer that wherever the Lord is leading you, he, He's going to do some things before He gets you to that point so that after that point, he, the things He does after that, you'll understand it better. Uh, the Lord doesn't tell us everything all at one time. We really enjoyed a little devotion Monday night at prayer. Uh, before we prayed, we were sharing the scriptures and, and we learned how that the Lord when he sent Samuel to Jesse's house, when he's going to rip the kingdom from Saul and he's going to put a new king in office, King David, he tells Samuel, go to Jesse's house for I've chosen another king. From, you know, I've, I've got another one, one of Jesse's boys. But, but the Lord didn't tell Samuel that it would be David. He, he knew it would be David, but he didn't tell him because he wanted him to go through some things. And that's the way the Lord does with us. He, he doesn't just tell us everything all at once. We can't handle it. But it's not just because we can't handle it. He doesn't tell us everything all at once. It's because he wants us to learn by faith in what he's teaching us along the way. So Samuel has to go, he has to find Jesse, and he has to and Jesse brings his boys one at a time through the lineup. You know the story in 1 Samuel chapter 16. And finally they reach 
the very end, the last one, least least likely one to be picked, and there was David. Again, the Lord could have told Samuel, go find Jesse, his youngest son, David, but he didn't do that because there was a lesson to be learned, if not more than one. I believe the overall lesson in that experience of Samuel and Jesse and finding the new king that the Lord had for Israel was that man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord doesn't. The Lord looks upon the heart. And see, it's important things like that that we learn along the way because the Lord just doesn't tell us everything all at one time. Again, we we couldn't handle it. Number one, we couldn't handle it. Number two, he wants to give us precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little, so that we can experience more of him, more of him, understanding him, loving him, greater expressions of love and trust toward him as we learn who he is to us, what he's doing in our lives because of what he did in Christ at Calvary. Hallelujah. And that's what I'm talking about right here. We, we, we're going to endeavor to make it to Luke chapter 8, the parable of the sower and the seed. I haven't taught this in a while. It's going to be marvelous and grand and brand new to me all over again. Uh, but we have to look prior to this to see what was going on and what Jesus was doing before he began to teach this awesome chapter 8 in Luke that, that, that we call the parable of the sower and the seed because it is really the picture of the different types of heart on which the word of God is sown and, and what happens at the reception of the word. And, and we're going to look at that if we can get to it, if not in this session the next. But again, we've got to look back of what was happening because he's leading them up to this teaching in what's going on and even after he's he's leading them in that which he showed them here in this parable and then he begins to walk it out and experience and show them and and that's why it's so important that you and I are found every day serving our Savior, learning of our Savior, sitting at the feet of our Savior, and, and, and because what he shows us today will cause us to look back to see his faithfulness beforehand, and, and it will equip us for what he's going to lead us in and through in the days ahead. This is so important that we learn this to, to, to learn of him, to sit at his feet. And if we look back to chapter 7, and let's do that. In chapter 7, we'll see uh, if I can find it here. Uh, it's probably uh, at the end of this chapter. In chapter 7, uh, there was a woman, Mary, who is found sitting at the feet of Jesus. She's, uh, let's just read here. Let's, let's just, uh, verse 36 in Luke chapter 7. Again, just be patient. Don't get in a hurry. Let's see what Jesus was doing because he's always doing something wondrous. Hallelujah. Luke 7 and 36, and one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that 
Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisees' house, brought an alabaster box of ointment, and stood at his feet behind him weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with ointment. And when the Pharisee, which had bidden him, saw it, he spake within himself. He's thinking this way, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that touches him, because she is a sinner. And Jesus answering, answered what this man was thinking. This is our powerful Lord and Savior. He hears our thoughts and he, he deals with that inner man and the thinking of that inner man, those thoughts that nobody knows but him. Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other one owed 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him the most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, You have rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, See this woman here? I entered into your house, and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. You gave me no kiss. But this woman, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil... You did not anoint, but this woman has anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore, I say unto you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. And he said unto her, your sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say, Within themselves, here they go thinking again. Who is this that forgives sins also? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now this is a story before Jesus gets to the point because if you look at chapter 8 of Luke, it says in verse 1, And it came to pass afterward. So when you see that, you have to look back and see what he's talking, what we see what's about to come afterward, but you got to go back and look and see what was before. And what was before was Mary crying, washing his feet with her tears, anointing him with the ointment she brought to anoint him worshiping him, loving him, a public, here it comes, a public display of affection at the feet of Jesus, realizing he had set her free. He had, he had delivered her. He, he, she realized he was the Savior. She was a sinner, and she had sinned much, but she knew she could trust him. 
Let me say this today. You know those who love the most because they have the greater realization that they've been forgiven much. The reason you don't see much public display of affection for Jesus, a boldness to worship no matter who's around. The reason you don't see certain individuals' hands lifted in, in, when it comes time to worship. If they can't lift their hands in a worship service, they could never be like this woman who publicly got down on the ground and cried tears with joy, joyous thanksgiving and, and, and washed his feet with her tears in her hair and what uh, uh, the alabaster box she br brought in and broke it and anointed him while others sit by and, and look down on her and, and really look down on him for allowing this type of thing to go on. Said if he really were a prophet, he wouldn't be allowing this person let me tell you something, folks. The greater the public display of affection in worship and serving Christ with not an obnoxious attitude, but just a boldness that I don't care who's looking, I'm going to worship. I don't care who's listening, I'm going to share the gospel of my Savior. The greater the public display of affection for our Savior, you're going to see you're going to find the, the reality there that there is a greater picture of what really happened at the cross, who Jesus really is, what Jesus really did, what he accomplished for us at the cross. You, you're going to find those that understand that more. This is why this has got to be preached, not just to the lost to get them saved and to the feet of Jesus, but to, to, to keep them at the feet of Jesus. And, and if you look after uh, chapter 8 all the way over uh, to chapter uh, uh, 10, you'll find another Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus while her sister Martha is just cumbersome and worrisome and troubled and working her fingers to the bone and, uh, uh, and, and thinking that Mary, her sister, ought to be up doing what she's doing. She ought not to be there at the feet of Jesus. That's what she thinks because she tells Jesus, doesn't he care that, that she's doing all she's doing and that Martha should be helping her? And really Martha's telling on herself in this story because she's really thinking Mary shouldn't be at the feet of Jesus. She ought to be up helping her do everything she's doing. But Jesus in that, in that great story tells Martha, you're troubled about much, you're worried you're cumbersome. You're, you're troubled. Mary has chosen that part that is right. That public display of affection no, for Christ that want to learn of Christ. I just want more of Jesus. I'm not talking about feelings and emotions, although you'll have them. I'm talking about just learning of Christ so that you can serve Him more, have a greater display of affection for Him, to display the knowledge you have of Him, that aroma that is life unto life to those who are alive and death unto death to those who are dead. And, and, and that public 
public display of affection that the church heart rarely sees today. So many churches, uh, they, 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 man, if somebody raises their hands, they're looked at like that's, man, what's wrong with them? Or if they cry tears, uh, what's wrong with them? Or uh, these public displays of affection. I understand a lot A lot of it today could be for show. Just look at me what I'm doing. But we can't see the heart, therefore we can't be the judge. So we just have to be encouraged by public displays of affection. When I see someone's hands raised to the Lord in worship, they could be sitting there thinking something. Who knows what they could be thinking. But it appears to me they're worshiping the Lord with their hands, holy hands lifted high. So who am I to judge? And when I do that, I'm making excuses as to why I won't. I'm just like the Pharisee. But listen, the greater the display of affection for Christ before men, remember what Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me before men, I'm going to be ashamed of you when I come with my holy angels. If you're denying me, I'm going to deny you. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12. We've got to get back to the place where we're not ashamed of Christ, the gospel. We're not ashamed that he's made us worshipers, that we can sit at the feet of Jesus and learn of him. And, and I believe the stories before this eighth chapter when he teaches how faith comes, how it stays, how it's grasped, how it's lost... Uh, then we see these experiences of these individuals at the feet of Jesus. They, I mean, uh, these public displays of affection for Christ, learning of Christ at the feet, worshiping Him, learning of Him. Don't care who's looking. Not doing this for show, but I don't care that it is putting off a show. I, I'm not going to not worship my Lord publicly uh, because I'm afraid of what people might think. Well, they'll just think I'm doing it for show. Well, uh, if there's that thought or I'm not going to do it because I, you know, I, I just don't want to. All these excuses, listen, when you realize who Christ is, I don't, I don't mean in some nonchalant way, well, I know Jesus. I know he's the son. I don't mean being able to theologically describe with scripture who Jesus is. I mean who he is in experience in your heart to you. Who is Jesus to you today? What is he to you today? Not in what you can explain. And, and, and that's what we do a lot of times. We just begin to explain with scriptures who he is and that's the end of it. But we need to let those words of life become life to our inner man where we're found at the feet of Jesus, learning of him, not just allowing his words to be something we quote or have in our head, but words of life that change us and move us to where he leads us, that allows us to look back and see where he's brought us, what he was saying along the way, and what he's saying today to us. Today, for he is speaking today for those that will be found at his feet. He's offering that word of faith today again, not the false way and the false teacher's word of faith. Remember last 
session, the first session in this teaching we brought out, Paul said the, the, the word that we preach, what we preach is the word of faith. That, that, that word, that righteous context of God's word in the gospel that brings faith, offers faith with it when it comes. We preach the word of faith. Faith comes by hearing what God is offering, but it has to be mixed in the heart. And I believe when it's mixed in the heart, there is an attraction to Jesus. There is a love for Jesus. There is a service to Jesus. He said, those that love me will obey me. And the, I, I, I don't see a whole lot of obedience. I see a lot of trials that come and, 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 and failure that happens when the tests and the trials come with the excuses, well, nobody's perfect and we'll be like him when we get there. But right now, and, and I understand all those factual, truthful words that are in the Bible, but I also know that a lot of times they're excuses because we're too concerned about what others will think about us if we allow the Lord to, to remove more of the world out of us. He brought me out of a place full of false doctrine years ago, a place of gathering of people where false doctrine is rampant, but ever since he brought me out some close to 20 years ago, he's still having to get that false doctrine out of me. We get grounded in things and, and we begin to use those things even along the way as excuses. The Lord is, look, let me tell you something today, the Lord's looking for a public display of affection and worship from each of his children. This, I've got my own way of worship. I've got my own time of worship. Good, you need all that. But everybody that knows you needs to know not just where you go to church and who your preacher is and all the programs you're involved in. They need to see a public display of love for Jesus in your life. And that's going to be you letting go of all the busy things. I'm not talking about quitting your job. I'm not talking about running off and getting in the mountains. In the I'm talking about your attraction for all the things that hinders your Bible study, all the things that you've allowed to come into your life that have hindered that fire of God to burn in your heart for Christ and, and, and it be seen in the fruit of your attending a local church in the fellowship with the believers excited about this Jesus that has saved us and excited about this one who allows us to sit under the preaching of the word, excited about this one that has brought us to a place, planted us in the church where we can flourish flourish in his courts and, and lift holy hands in the midst of the congregation. Glory to God where he shows himself mighty on our behalf. I'm telling you we don't need to lose this place of fire and public display. I'm not talking about doing it for uh, to be seen. I'm talking about doing it because we're called to do it. Jesus told, told the, the Pharisees, this woman here is doing the right thing. And he, and he tells her out loud in front of them, you're saved, you're forgiven of your sins, your faith has saved you. He's letting them know they don't have the faith they think they do. They don't have the faith they think they do. And when he gets to the story in chapter 10 of Luke to Mary and Martha, he's letting Martha know in a loving way, in a right way, he's not condemning, really he's not condemning 
Martha, he doesn't condemn. He just shows us reality and we either accept it or we don't. And that's really what really chapter 8 is going to be about. Accepting that seed sown or not accepting it. And there will always be the fruit there that we love Jesus. Hallelujah. That we're obedient to Jesus. That we're following Jesus. The, the apostate, backslidden church that's dead today in darkness today that looks almost just like the world today, most of it looks just like the world, is because they, they, don't, they don't understand Calvary. When you understand the cross, you understand then more of who Jesus is and what he really did. And the more you understand that, hear me today, the more you understand sound doctrine, the greater your worship is going to be. And you and I need to be growing in our knowledge of sound doctrine. And if we are, not if we say we are, if we are, our worship, our obedience to him will be seen. It will be evident as these stories. Jesus didn't condemn Martha, but he did tell Martha, Mary's doing the right thing. How did Martha take that? Well, I must be doing the wrong thing. He pretty much told her that. Just like he pretty much told the Pharisees, you guys, you're not walking where you need to be walking. She is. This one you're calling a sinner. This one that you, you, you're, not, you're not recognizing who I am in their own hearts. They're thinking, well, he ain't, much, he ain't a prophet. If he was, he wouldn't, he wouldn't be letting her do this. She's an old sinner. See, they didn't understand who he was or what he came to do. My goodness, this is good to me today. I'm being encouraged. Glory to God. If you understand and you're growing in your understanding of who Jesus is, I'm not talking about you tell somebody, well, yeah, I know who he is. I know what he did. I'm talking about your involvement in that knowledge of who he is and what he did at Calvary. I'm talking about that public display of affection. We On the youth trips, I used to carry kids on youth trips, and, and, and we still go with them to youth camp. And one of the main rules is if there happens to be any boyfriends and girlfriends there, no, there is no public display of affection allowed between the boys and the girls when we go to youth camp. I'm going to tell you that public display of affection is allowed for Jesus in obedience and worship and, and loving each other and being merciful to each other. That, that public display of affection for Jesus is required by the Lord. It's called for by the Lord. And we're not talking about, when I say required, we're not talking about a law. You've got to do this and you know the heart that recognizes who Jesus is, the Son of God, and what he did as the Lamb of God to take our sins away at the cross of Christ, the more you understand scriptures in that light, the more you're learning sound doctrine, the less excuses you'll make as to why you're still stuck in some old dead gathering that don't know how to worship or makes up excuses as to why they are not doing everything the Bible tells them they should be doing. 
You're going to get out of there, my friend. You're going to find you a place of worship. You're going to find you a place where the public display of affection for Jesus is there. You're not going to worry any longer about who you think's doing it for show and all this, all this mumbo jumbo and excuses just like the Pharisees made and just like Martha made. You just going to get to the place where you're learning who Jesus is and what he did for you at Calvary. And because whomever realized they've been forgiven much, they gonna love much. And let me tell you something, we've all been forgiven far more than we will know at least on this side of glory if ever somebody said amen. Glory to God. I hope you learn a little bit more today. You've been forgiven not just of all the acts of sin that you've committed. You've been forgiven as a Christian and delivered and brought out from among being the darkness of this world, being a sinner. He's forgiven you of hating him and, and casting him off and thinking you knew better than him. He, he's forgiven us of all we've done and all that we were. Hallelujah. He's not overlooked it. He's forgiven us through offering his son at the cross and our faith in that. And when your faith is really there, I didn't say used to be there, when your faith is really there in that place where mercy and truth met and righteousness and peace kissed each other, hallelujah, Psalms 85, 10, righteousness and peace. Let me just say this, mercy and truth is who Jesus is and who he is is what he offered. The work he did at Calvary is the, is the righteousness and peace that kissed each other. That word kissed, the root word for that word kissed is the, is the word that means to kindle and to burn, to light a fire. And that's why when your faith really is not with words, but in your heart, you're believing unto that righteousness where Jesus gave his life and allowed uh, uh, righteousness and peace to kiss each other, that fire there is going to kindle and burn in your heart and it's going to result in a public display of affection for Jesus. No matter who's looking, I'm going to be willing and able, the Bible says, a minister of the new covenant, not just a preacher in a pulpit, but a Christian is a is an able minister of the new covenant found in the blood of Jesus, a word of the testimony of their salvation, sharing what Jesus is to us and what he's done for us, not just at the cross, but today because of the cross, what he's teaching us, what he's showing us, how we're maturing and finding that boldness that he said his people have. His, the righteous are as bold as a lion, Proverbs 28.1. And we need to get back in our worship services to singing and clapping and dancing and lifting holy hands and rejoicing. Don't care who's looking. I know of a certain individual who was asked by another individual, why, why do you never really enter into worship in, in the church service? Why do you never lift your hands or, or clap or anything? And they said, well, and they, and they pointed to one of their relatives and, and one they looked up to and respected and said, well, they don't do that. And let me say something today. Again, I preached a message recent, recently. God's not condemning anybody, but he's going to blame those that refused 
to recognize who he is and what he did to the point of breaking out of dryness, breaking out of, of just being a, a men pleaser instead of attempting to please the Lord. And if you want to begin to please the Lord in a greater way, you're going to have to have a greater public display of affection. Yes, you are. I'm not trying to put you under. I don't care what you say. We have two different stories here of two different women that Jesus, he made the opportunity for these stories to happen so that we could have these stories to read about so that when we did read Luke chapter 8 and we look back and we look ahead, we can see the result of a heart that has received the Word of God and is keeping the Word of God and allowing the Word of God to bring forth fruit. There's not going to ever minute of your day be a public display of affection in worship because we have to work, we have to do many things. And worship is from the heart. But what I'm saying today is we won't run. We will not run from and avoid the opportunity of a public display of affection in worship to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ just because others are around. We have two examples given us in Scripture, and I'm sure there are a lot more. The reason I bring these to the table today is because they're on either side of what we're about to endeavor to learn about the sower and the seed. And uh, I hope this intro to part two has helped us a little bit as we now move into chapter eight of Luke in this part two of Bible faith in light of the cross. Everything's got to be in light of the cross or it won't be a righteousness that we're understanding. There has to be things we understand before we can understand righteousness the way we should. You find that written in Proverbs a few places. Then you'll understand righteousness. Then, after these, then you'll understand righteousness. You need to look those things up. You need to study those things. You need to find out what those things are. I wish I had time just to sit here and teach all day, but I don't. I have other things to do just as you do. But we need to be hearing God's word in its righteous context, for that is the context of every word that God has ever spoken, Proverbs 8 and 8. Never forget that. It's hard for me to do any broadcast without bringing that to the table. All the words of God's mouth are in righteousness, Proverbs 8 and 8. And His righteousness is only revealed in the gospel from faith that comes by hearing those righteous words to faith that comes by hearing those righteous words. We go from faith to faith only if we're hearing God's word in its righteous context, which is the righteousness of God being revealed in the gospel. Doesn't matter you've never heard this. Doesn't matter you disagree with it. You'll be wrong if you do because we have Scripture. We stand on the Word of God just as our Savior did when He walked this earth and many times said, it is written. Hallelujah. We stand on what is written because what is written as the written Word of God expresses the one we love, 
the living Word of God and who He became to us at the cross as the Lamb of God. Glory to His holy name. Blessed be the Lord God. Watch now Luke chapter 8 and I pray the Lord will impart that which we've heard truth as He does based on what we've heard and even more so as we work our way by His Spirit through Luke chapter 8. As we well know, Luke chapter 8 is the parable of the sower and the seed and it is the, the scriptures Jesus taught concerning the different states of the heart that when the word is sown, the heart is where everything happens or doesn't happen with the word. The heart of man. And he, and he breaks it down to where it's easy for us to understand as seed sown into different soils of dirt, different kinds of ground. That's the way he looks at the heart. And we'll see that today. So let's begin and we'll try to go as far as we can into this chapter to see what he has for us today, the understanding he wants to impart to our hearts today. Luke chapter 8 verse 1, And it came to pass afterward, those things we talked about in Luke chapter 7, that he went throughout every city and village preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. And certain women which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom went seven devils, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod Stuart, and Susanna, and many others, which ministered unto him of their substance. They were traveling along with Jesus, serving Jesus, giving up what they'd been doing, whatever had been going on. They were now just following him, <coughs> trusting him, worshiping him, no matter what everybody else said or thought. Verse 4, And when much people were gathered together and were come to him out of every city, he spoke by a parable. Parable is a story he would tell with a deeper meaning for those he would reveal it to. Watch. Here comes the parable. A sower went out to sow his seed. And we know you get this pictured in your mind that uh, there's a man, he's got a bag of seed, whatever that seed is, and he's going to sow that seed because he's hoping to grow something. He's hoping to get a result from that seed sown. You're not going to get anything if you don't sow seed. So the sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it. It was sown on the wayside over there, and where people walked, and, and it was trodden down, and, and the birds from the air, the fowl of the air, came and just ate it up. And some fell upon a rock. And as soon as it was sprung up, it, it did spring up. It withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns. And the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. And other seed sown fell on good ground. 
Only one good ground out of four grounds here mentioned. And this seed sown on good ground sprang up and bare fruit a hundredfold. That means it brought forth the fruit it was expected to bring forth. All of the fruit it was expected to bring forth. And when he had said these things, he cried, He that has ears to hear, let him hear. And his disciples asked him, saying, What might this parable be? What, might, what does this parable mean? And he said, this is very important, he said, Unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to others in parables, that seeing they might not see, and hearing they might not understand. That means others will see and they will only get that natural picture that comes, as I explained, a man sowing seed on the side of the road and people trod it down. I get it. The birds came and, I, and ate it. I get it. And that's all they get. He wants us to know, and for his people, his disciples, he gives the mystery of that. He gives the full revelation of that to his disciples. Other than that, those that don't have ears to hear, those that don't sell out and lay it down in Luke chapter 9, the very next chapter between this chapter and the one where we see Mary at the feet of Jesus and Mar Martha working her hands to death is where Jesus teaches right after this chapter that if you're going to save your life, you got to lose it. You got to lose your life if you want it saved. And those that try to save their life, well, they're going to lose it in a way they don't want to lose it. That's right after this chapter. And it's important we know that too. Because without the mystery revealed of the parables, then we're not those who have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. The Spirit speaks words of life to our hearts. Jesus said in John chapter 6, the words I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. <coughs> but he says, it's given to them in parables that seeing they might not see and hearing they might not understand. And he tells his disciples, now the parable is this. The seed sown is the Word of God. Remember, it is the written Word of God, but it is mainly the living Word of God because the written Word of God finds its place of purpose and experience and, 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 and reality and revelation in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Without the Lord Jesus Christ coming to lay his life down at Calvary, the Bible is absolutely no good. It means absolutely nothing. The volume of the book is about Jesus. He is our Genesis. He's our revelation. He's everything in between. And faith can't come to the heart that doesn't see the word of God written, the written word of God, in the light of the one who said he is the light. 
God's word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path as long as my faith is in the one who is the son of God that became the lamb of God to be the light unto me. By placing my faith in what he did at Calvary. That's where the light comes on. That's where the light comes on. It comes on nowhere else. That's where the, the living, the, the written word of God begins to live in my heart. So there is no revelation of the written word of God outside the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And I do not mean just our faith one day sometime back in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Now we just walk in any revelation. No, the revelation of every jot and every tittle finds its fullness and place of meaning, purpose, and experience in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ at Calvary because that's the only avenue of righteousness. It's the only avenue of righteousness. And every word God has ever spoken, my friend, is in that righteousness, will be found in that experience, in that faith, in that movement of God. Not all the other things men call movements of God. The seed sown is the word of God. Jesus is the living word sown. Psalms 107.20 says he sent his word to heal them and to deliver them from all destruction. His name is Jesus. You can't separate the written word of God from the living word of God. When you do, you've got confusion, and you've got failure, and you've got flesh, and you've got sin nature dominating. This is the parable that the seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are they that hear. They hear the gospel. They hear the word of the Lord. But then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts lest they should believe and be saved. Now, this is very important to see this. The word of God sown is sown into the heart. It goes into the heart when men hear it. The word of God sown by God goes into the heart when we hear the word of God. It is sown, I don't care what men say, when the word of God, the righteous words of God, the word of God comes in the righteous context in which they were spoken, meaning in the revelation, the context of Christ Jesus and his work at Calvary, it goes into the heart of man. But that's where God is looking to see what men will do with that word. What men will do. And the devil, we see, can steal the word out of the heart before men have an opportunity to ever believe it. I believe because they've cho chosen not to believe it. When the word of God comes, we, we, we choose. And upon that choice, the devil is able to steal it right out of our heart. He steals the word right out of the heart of a man. Let's read it again. We won't move fast through this because there's some things I believe we need to see. 
I need to see. We need to learn. We need to be grounded in what sound, not how I feel, why, how I think, what I think it means. We need to just be grounded and settled with the written Word of God. The Bible says that the Word of God is settled forever in heaven. It won't ever change. It's settled. It's done. We need to just be settled in our own hearts. Or let me say it a better way. We need to, we need to let the Word of God be settled in our hearts. So I don't need to change it. The Word of God is God. I don't need to be found trying to change God. <clears throat> so those by the wayside where the seed is sown, they did hear. But the devil comes and takes away the Word out of their hearts so they won't believe it and they won't be saved. But who... who, who what allows the devil to steal the word out of their hearts so they won't believe and they, lest, they, lest they believe and be saved? It's those who don't place the proper value on it. The devil can't steal the word out of your heart if you believe it. Oh, I need to say that again. The devil cannot steal the Word of God out of your heart if you're believing it. People who quit, throw the towel in, I don't believe that anymore. Well, we're going to read about them in this story. We're not talking about people who stumble along the way. We're talking about people who quit, throw the towel in, say, I don't believe that anymore. There can be periods, as we'll learn, that there can be seasons where people did go along, but it didn't work out for them. There's a lot of heresy in the church today, and a lot of that heresy prevents an accurate understanding of this very parable that shows us what we need to learn in an important way about faith, Bible faith. Because the Word can be sown into the heart and the devil can steal it right out of the heart lest they believe and are saved. But he can't steal out of the heart a believed word. If it's a proper biblical, I know there's so much false doctrine today, so much unsound words, doctrine going out today that you, you just wouldn't believe. You can Google any topic, any discussion on any any topic you want to and find whatever you want to find. Whatever your flesh wants to hear, there are people out there preaching that. And I got news for you. We just need to stick with what's written in the context it was written, which is righteousness, which that means we've got to look to Jesus and what he did at Calvary through every word written in the Bible, and there, then understanding will come into our hearts. Then we'll properly be hearing the word of God. But let's read this again. Those by the wayside, that, that place where the word was, uh, uh, we read it, uh, let's go back up here. Uh, the wayside is where it was trodden down trampled on, and the fowls of the air devoured it. Trampled down. The word sown was just trampled on. 
by men. Let me say it again. The devil can't steal a believed word of God. But he can steal. He can steal every word that we hear and goes into the heart if we don't mix faith with it. See, that's on us. Whether we mix faith with it or we just let it get trodden down and whoever can do whatever they want to with it, the birds can come and have it, the devil can steal every word that we don't mix faith with. And every word that has proceeded out of the mouth of God are the words that we live by. Again, we live by faith. We go from faith to faith if we're living, but to live is Christ. And the life is only found in Christ. The life is only found in the blood. All that has to tie together. That's why the written word of God, the very crucifixion of Christ, his death, the truth, the gospel, the revelation, the understanding, the illumination of God's word, they can never be separated. It all culminates and climaxes in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The death mainly because there is where righteousness and peace kissed and the fire of God from heaven fell on that sacrifice that day at Calvary. And all who believe in that have the fire of God burning in their heart and an affection for the Lord Jesus Christ. The wayside heart, and that's what we're talking about here, the heart, those that hear, those that the Word of God actually goes into their heart. Takes the, the devil comes and takes the word out of their heart. And here's, here's something. I'm glad the Lord reminded me of this right now. I, I, oh, my goodness. Do you know how the devil can take the word, steal the word out of the heart? Of course, it's by them not believing it. But do you know how that works? Something goes on there. If the word of the Lord comes into my heart, if I don't mix faith with that word, it's because when, when, when the devil comes, he doesn't show up and just say, hey, I'm the devil. I'm stealing that word out of your heart. He doesn't do it that way. The enemy comes with a lie. He has to make a transfer. He has to, he, to, to reach in and get the truth that's been sown. He has to offer that individual something else that they exalt above that truth that was sown into their heart. He offers a lie, and the way he steals that word out of their heart is by them believing the lie. That which is close to truth, but not truth. That which is spiritual sounding, but not truth. That which is distorted, but not sound doctrine. He makes the switch. You see, when God saved us through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ, He made the switch. All the things we'd been believing, He not only got rid of them, He forgave us of all that, but He put that old man to death that had believed all that junk. God forbid the new man in Christ Jesus fall back on believing things that are not sound 
allowing the enemy to offer that which we trade the truth for, turn the truth into a lie. That's how he steals the word out of the heart. He doesn't just walk up and snatch it. He doesn't just walk up and say, hey, I'm the devil, I'm stealing that. No, he comes with a lie as a lie. And he offers that lie. And when that lie is offered, that means we give up what the truth could have done. This is very good today. And I hope you're gleaming something because it's up to you. Jesus will go on here later and he'll say, take heed what you hear. Right here in this chapter, take heed how you hear. You've got to be careful what you're hearing and in how you're hearing it, what state your heart is in when you hear it. How many people have heard thousands and thousands and thousands of sermons, the Word of God coming at them, going into their heart, unmixed with faith? Every time there's a Word of God that enters our hearts that's not mixed with faith, it's because we're believing something other. How many people have heard thousands upon thousands of sermons? They listen to multiple preachers all the time, but there is no change in their life. That's sad. That's sad. And that's where the church is today. Constantly hearing, ever learning, but not able to come to the truth because there has to be on the man's part The mixture of faith, believing that which comes, that word sown into our hearts. And according to this parable, the seed is the word of God and when it is sown, it goes into the heart of men. It doesn't beat around, it doesn't not, it goes into the heart of men and there is where God is watching and men are responding. We're about out of time. Can you believe an hour has gone by already? My goodness, this is going to get better and better and I encourage you to tune in with us every Friday at 9 a.m. Central Time to to walk with us in this study. Just if you missed the first session, go back quickly and watch it so next week you'll have the first two uh, and and you'll be able to follow with us and walk with us through this great teaching I believe the Lord is giving us through the light of Calvary. And that's important, through the light of Calvary because the cross of Christ is the object of faith by which we can hear properly and receive of the Lord properly. And read Revelation chapter 3, you'll see the church of Sardis being rebuked and told to repent. Even though they had a name that they were alive, Jesus said they're dead. And you better repent and get back to the place of hearing and receiving the place where you're trusting in Christ and His work at the cross alone. Hallelujah. God bless you. Know that our prayers are for you to have a greater picture of Christ and His work at Calvary. Know that we believe God is going to impart truth into your heart and we're trusting that you will mix faith with the truth you hear. And our prayer is that God will do great and mighty things in and through you. And I just encourage you to help us publish these words. Send them out across the airwaves. 
Let us not be ashamed of our Savior or His words of life, that which He's done for us at Calvary. God bless you, and don't forget to sow into good ground where you're hearing the truth of God's great words of righteousness. You can do that at thecrosswaychurch.com or you can text the word GIVE to the number 903-231-5950. God bless you. I love you. Until next time, stay determined to know absolutely nothing but Christ and Him crucified. We'll see you then.